Last week, we began this series called How to Wreck Your Life. We are trying to show you ways that you can absolutely ruin your life, ruin your future, ruin your family, ruin uh, your relationships. And we're looking at the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which is the journal of King Solomon. We said last week that as a young man, Solomon liked like his father David, had honored God. He had followed him fully. And when he became king, God uh, offered to give Solomon anything that he asked for. And so Solomon asked for wisdom. And so God made Solomon uncommonly wise. He wrote the book of wisdom, Proverbs, a book full of godly advice. But later in his life, he allowed himself to be influenced away from God And he absolutely wrecked his life. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, as an old man, says, don't do what I did. Let this book be preventative medicine in your life. Let what I write serve as a warning so that you can avoid wrecking your life. And that's really what we're hoping for here is that you can avoid wrecking your life or recover if you already have. And last weekend we looked at the first part of chapter two and in that chapter Solomon told us that a really great way to wreck our lives is to focus on what feels good, to chase after pleasure. And he tried that in his search for meaning. And in chapter 2, verse 17, he kind of sums up what he decided. Here's what he said. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, Solomon is kind of a depressing guy while he's writing this book. And so if you're struggling with sadness or depression, you probably don't want to spend all your time reading Ecclesiastes. But he decided that everything done under the sun is troubling, that everything is meaningless. And uh, that included focusing on what feels good. But I guess we can move on and look at the next way he talks about that will help us wreck our lives. And that's running after riches or success. And you may have heard the joke about the man that went to the dentist to get his tooth pulled. And every time the dentist tried to pull the tooth, the man clenched down. He clenched his teeth on the instrument trying to pull his tooth. And so it wasn't working. And so the dentist pulled aside his assistant. And he said to his assistant, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to two, I want you to pinch this man's rear end really hard. And he said, when you pinch his rear end, he's going to open his mouth. I'm going to pull the tooth and everything will be good. And so that's what they did. He counted to three on two. The assistant pinched the man's rear end. The man was so shocked. He opened his mouth. The tooth came out. And the dentist said, now that wasn't so bad, was it? And the man said, no, but I had no idea the roots went that deep. (laughs) Well, let's face it. Money is a sensitive topic. And someone has said the most sensitive nerve in the human body is the one that runs from the brain to the wallet. And some of us were taught that there's certain things we don't talk about in polite company. You know, sex and politics and religion and money. 
But Solomon in his journal seems to say that running after riches and running after success is one of the ways to wreck your life. And I'm really wanting to help you avoid wrecking your life. And so if we're going to uh, do this, we've got to talk about this subject this morning, even if the roots do go really deep. So maybe the first question is, is Solomon right? Is he correct on that? I mean, can riches, can success really wreck your life? I mean, if we're honest, that doesn't make any sense to us. That doesn't ring true to us, especially when the person declaring it as a problem is Solomon, who is one of the wealthiest people who has ever lived. When wealthy people tell us that riches will ruin our life, we tend to be a little skeptical of that. And many in our world have have acted as if money or owning the right things could save them from all sorts of problems. I mean, they really believe that they don't have any problems that earning another $100 a week wouldn't solve. And uh, some are thinking, you know, if I had riches... I would be wintering somewhere warm right now. I would not be putting up with this cold. And intellectually, we know that money can't buy happiness. But it's kind of fun to try, isn't it? And while most people know that money isn't everything, most truly believe that it's far ahead of whatever's in second place. And for some The issue really isn't money at all. It's the success and achievement and awards that come with working hard and being financially successful. It's the recognition. So Solomon talks about working hard and getting rich. He talks about how that is a pathway to wrecking your life. But Now, I'm afraid some people might think that they can just kind of check out here. I think there are people in the room who think, you know, Pastor, I'm never going to be rich. So this really doesn't apply to me. I don't have to pay attention to this. Or you're thinking, I'm not working on climbing a corporate ladder and seeking success. So I don't have to pay attention to this. But I want to challenge you to listen and listen closely because I think the potential problems here may affect all of us because some of the traps of running after riches can happen to people who are just barely making ends meet to people who are living paycheck to paycheck what i'm saying is i think everyone in america at every economic level has the potential to absolutely wreck their lives based on running after riches and success or that next nice gadget or the constant temptation to reach for more. So let's look together at what Solomon has to say, and perhaps we will hear something that will keep us from wrecking our lives. Let's start by seeing the problem with chasing riches. The problem with chasing riches. Now, depending on what translation of the Bible you're using, Solomon declares chasing after riches and success as useless or vanity or meaningless. Solomon actually gives several reasons why he thinks chasing riches is meaningless. The first is this, it's a race without a finish line. It's a race without a finish line. Look at what he says in chapter 5 verse 10. 
Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Now, he's talking to people who love money. He's talking to people who love money. And you might be sitting there saying, well, that's not me. I don't love money. But can we admit that we all love money at least a little bit? And if you're thinking, no, no, that's not me. Can you at least admit that you hate not having it? That you hate it when you need money and you don't have enough. You hate not having money. And if you admit that you hate not having it, you know what that means. You love money at least a little bit. That's exactly what that means. So Solomon just kind of puts that truth out there. Those who love money, and I know that's me and to some degree, and I suspect that you will never have enough. And the statistics absolutely prove that true. I mean, there was a study done by U.S. News and World Report several years ago, and it asked people at various different financial levels to sit down and calculate what they think they would need to make, uh, what they would need to make in salary each year to really be able to achieve the American dream, to live comfortably and be happy. They said, sit down with a piece of paper, figure out what you would need in yearly salary to be happy to achieve the American dream. And here's the results. Americans with household incomes under $25,000 calculated it, and they said it would take an average of $54,000 per year to fulfill the American dream and be happy. Those who make $100,000 a year or a little more calculated that they would need an average of $192,000 to fulfill the American dream and be happy. In other words, those who participated in the study said that the, uh, the American dream and happiness would require about twice as much as what they were currently making. It didn't matter how much they were making. They all said they needed about twice as much. And Solomon's words seem to be true. Whether we're talking about success or riches, whatever level we are at, we think we need just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And those who love money and success will never have enough. I hesitate to use this illustration because many of you don't like the guy that I'm about to talk about. But Tom Brady really is a great quarterback. And we were so hoping he would lose. I mean, I told one of our Patriots fans, I wasn't praying for it because I don't pray for wins or losses, but, but I was really hoping for it, you know. And um, I, I don't know, is that evil? Is that ungodly to hope? But anyway, <laughs> every service people have said, no, you know. <laughs> anyway, but Tom Brady has wealth and he has success. He has multiple Super Bowl rings. He has a supermodel at home and a, a great career. But he got real in an interview in 2005 on 60 Minutes. The most remarkable part of the interview was that the then 30-year-old football star wasn't talking about his achievements, but the most amazing part was this honest declaration. Brady said this, quote, I'm making more money than I ever thought I could make playing football. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, 
this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer said, well, what's the answer? And Brady replied, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You see, Solomon is right. How meaningless to think that wealth brings happiness. When you're chasing riches and success, no matter how much you get, it will never be enough. It really is a race without a finish line, and it can absolutely wreck your life. Look at these words from 1 Timothy chapter 6. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, some would point out, and they're right, that money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people who long to get rich fall into all sorts of temptations. They fall into the temptation to compromise on their convictions and the temptation to ignore God and what God wants you to do. And I have known many people who, as this verse say, have wandered or drifted away from their faith in God because they were chasing after riches or success. And you've got to understand, when they started to wander, when they started to drift, they never intended to leave. They really didn't. They, they just thought that they had to skip church for a while for uh, this important project so that they could get that promotion or that raise or they needed to pull back on what they were doing and serving God for just a time so that they could spend time uh, with their children on that traveling team that was so important to their success. And in every case, it was just a small step away. Just a small step away, just, just for a short time, they would say, so that they could achieve that next level at work or help their kids excel so that they could get scholarships. But one small step away leads to another small step. And pretty soon, they find themselves far from God. They've wandered far away and when they have wandered far away, with each step, the temptations get stronger. And the convictions become weaker. And they pierce themselves with many sorrows. And they wreck their spiritual life. And you might be sitting here as one of those people and you look back on where you've been and you think, that's me. I just kind of drifted away from God maybe it was years ago maybe it was months ago but you just kind of drifted away and now you find yourself far from God and I want to tell you the path back is easy the path back is quick and if you need us to pray with you or talk with you or help you you just stop by the next steps canopy afterwards or come talk to me because we really do want to help you close that gap between you and God and it really is 
a race without a finish line, chasing after riches and success. There is no finish line. The second problem with chasing riches and success that Solomon mentions is it changes your relationships. It changes your relationships. We're going to talk a little bit about some of this next week, but Solomon gives us several examples of how our relationships change. Let me walk through a few of them with you. First, he says, when you're chasing riches and success, you treat people with suspicion. You treat people with suspicion. Look at verses, uh, verse 11 in chapter 5. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Solomon's a little cynical here. He says, when you have riches, you have lots of friends. You have lots of people who have great ideas of what you could do with your wealth. And uh, we had in Arizona, in the church we served, a major league baseball player. And he told me all sorts of stories here. He told me about a friend who... Uh, he hadn't talked to in years, who called him out of the blue and asked him to loan him $12,000 to landscape his backyard. He told me about family members who would take out loans, car loans and other loans, that they knew they couldn't ever pay back, but they knew they could take it out because they expected him to rescue them and take care of them. People with money are often suspicious of their friends. They're suspicious of the motives why people are hanging out with them. Now, when Jill and I got married, I was not at all worried that she was marrying me for my money because I didn't have any. But then again, I don't know, she might have been after my 1965 Plymouth Fury, but it blew the transmission the day before we got married, so she lost out on that too. Though, I did get her Vega. Yeah, the car guys in the room know that wasn't a good deal. When you chase after riches and success, you begin to think that everyone else is doing the same thing. You begin to think that that's a top priority for everyone else. And you become suspicious that people only want to be around you because of your money or because of your position or because you can help them get money and position. The second way Solomon says chasing riches changes our relationships is you question their worthiness. You question their worthiness. Look at chapter 2 verses 18 and 19. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish, yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. Now, if you read all of Ecclesiastes, you will see this theme in several places. Solomon seems very concerned about who he has to leave his money to, who he has to leave his possessions and his kingdom to. And a study of the history of Israel will tell you he was right to be concerned. He was right to be concerned. His children managed to divide his kingdom and they moved even further away from faithfulness to God. And I can tell you, I have talked to many people who have spent their life building a company or people who have managed to gain some wealth and they're often concerned about what their kids will do 
with their wealth when it's gone. Often, some of the fault is with them. Going back to that first one we talked about, their pursuit of riches caused them to spend less time with their kids. And so now they hardly know their kids or their kids resent them or their kids resent the business. And they worry about leaving the family business to them or their money to them because they just don't know what their kids will do because they don't know their kids. And it's kind of a sad thing. But the last way that we will look at that changes riches, uh, that, riches cha- that chasing riches changes your relationships is you begin to compete and compare. Compete and compare. Look at what uh, Solomon says in chapter 4, verse 4. Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Solomon said, most people are motivated to success because they're competing. They're comparing themselves to other people around them. We have called that keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses, someone has said, is spending money you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't like. But Solomon noticed that that was motivated most people to success. And Andy Stanley, a preacher in Georgia, says, when it comes to competing and comparing with our neighbors and our friends, we end up moving to the land of Ur. The land of Ur. You see, you don't just want to be pretty like your friend, you want to be pretty-er. And you don't just want to be strong like that guy at the gym, you want to be strong-er. And you don't just want to have a nice car, you want it to be nicer. And you don't just want a big house, you want it to be bigger. But as Stanley points out, we aren't satisfied with the land of Ur very long. And so we want to move to the land of Est, where you have the biggest and the nicest, and where you are the smartest and the strongest and the prettiest. And the problem with competing and comparing ourselves is it's a total trap it's a total trap because there will always be someone richer and stronger and prettier and there will always be people that you win against sure but there will always be people who win against you and besides it is really hard to have sincere friendships with people when you're competing with them and comparing yourself to them. There's always a little bit of resentment, a little edge, and it's hard to have sincere friendships when you're trying to one-up the people around you. So Solomon says, it's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. So he's pointed out that uh, the fact that It is a race without a finish line. And the fact that it changes your relationships are two problems with chasing riches. Let's look at one more. There's another problem with chasing riches and success, and that is it increases your stress. It increases your stress. Look at what Solomon says next in chapter 5. Start with verse 10. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, 
there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We will talk in a few minutes about what it means that those who work hard get a good night's sleep even if they don't have money. But right now notice he says rich people seldom get a good night's sleep and hoarding riches harms the person who has them. Let's look briefly at a few areas of stress that riches cause. The first there is the stress of maintaining it. The stress of maintaining it. Uh, We talk all the time about people who have a lot, how they get accustomed to living at a certain level. And they have to keep making the same kind of money that they were making so that they can keep living at that level. I mean, they have to maintain their lifestyle. But they also have to maintain the things that they own. Remember that 65 Plymouth Fury that I mentioned earlier? Do you know how often I washed and waxed and vacuumed it out? Not very often. It was a junky car. I didn't worry about that. But when I bought my first brand new car, one of the things I figured out is it was a lot more work because I had to wash it. I had to keep it looking good. You see, with riches and success and nice things comes the stress of maintaining them. Second, there is the stress of protecting it. When you're successful, you need more life insurance, more car insurance, more theft insurance. When you are rich or successful, you have to hire people to make sure that you aren't giving all of your money to the government and taxes. And when you're rich and successful, you have to worry about alarm systems and security to protect yourself and your stuff. And when you're rich and successful, you have to worry about where you will store your stuff. That's why the storage industry is such a big business because everybody has so much stuff they have to figure out where they're going to store it. I like what comedian Stephen Wright says, you can't have everything. Where would you put it all? And part of the stress of protecting what you have is what Solomon worries about in the verse. I never worried about the stock market or risky investments when we were first married and poor because I didn't have any money invested. But people who have investments for retirement or uh, just to grow their wealth have to worry about losing it in risky investments. The last stress that we'll touch on is one we touched on earlier, and that's the stress of distributing it. Again, when I have things, I need to worry about who's going to get them when I'm gone. Who's going to get them when I'm gone? My dad has asked me to be the executor of his estate when he dies, and uh, he seems, every time we get together, to want to talk about that some, maybe because he's 83. You know, I don't know, but he wants to talk about that. And the more that I uh, hear from him, the more I understand how complicated that's going to be, even in a family where we don't expect any family fights about his money. And I've recently been having some discussions with my girls about our estate. So this is also a stress, how we're going to distribute it. But we need to move on so that we don't run out of time. After pointing out all these problems, Solomon says this in chapter 5, verse 15. We all come to an end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. It's an interesting thing. 
Solomon says we have all of these problems created by gaining riches and success. We have all of these problems created by buying things and owning things. And it really doesn't change much at all. Whether you're rich or you're poor, we all end up the same way. Now, if you're rich, you might have a nicer casket that they put in the ground. But that's, that's about it. I mean, we all end up as naked and as empty-handed when we die as we were the day we were born because we can't take our riches with us and it's no wonder Jesus said don't store treasures for yourself here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them and that verse is the perfect verse to shift gears so let's move from talking about the problem of chasing riches to looking at the priority of enjoying true riches. The priority of enjoying true riches. And Solomon in chapter 6 suggests that we learn to really enjoy true riches. Look at what he says in verse 9. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. Instead of chasing riches and success and running a race with no finish line while messing up our relationships and creating stress in our lives, Solomon says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. He says, stop chasing the wind and just enjoy what you already have. And again, one of our goals in this series is to give you ways to avoid wrecking your life or to recover if you already have wrecked your life in this area. So let me close by giving you two paths to enjoying what you have. The first one Solomon already hinted at, but the first path is contentment. It can, it's contentment. Remember that verse we looked at earlier that I mentioned that we would come back to? Let's do that now. It says, people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Now, this verse says something pretty significant. It says, people who work long hours, who live paycheck to paycheck, may actually have a better night's sleep than really wealthy people. Why is that? Well, it's partially because they don't have as much stress from... Uh, having to maintain and protect and distribute all of those things. But also it's because studies show over and over again that people who don't have as much actually are more satisfied with what they have. That people with less are actually more satisfied than people with more. But the second thing that I like about this verse is it says some people who have much have learned to sleep well. I don't know if you caught that in the verse. Not all rich people are losing sleep. Did you notice? People who work hard sleep well whether they eat little or much. Hardworking people sleep well is one of the things that it's saying. Here's the thing. The Bible does not condemn people for having money. The Bible does not condemn people for having lots of things. It does not say that we all have to be poor. The Bible has many stories of people who were very wealthy because God blessed them. And Solomon was one of those people. It is possible to be rich and successful and to not fall into the traps we've mentioned earlier. 
But how do you do that? Well, it all has to do with how you view your riches and what your top priorities in life are. If you're chasing after riches and that's your top priority, you're going to find that to be useless, to be vanity, to be meaningless. But if you will chase after God, you will find true riches and you'll be happy and you'll sleep well whether you have a little or a lot. Look at these verses from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Start with verse 6. Serving God does make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. We brought nothing into this world so we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. A great British preacher said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is just to desire less. The key to having a lot and still sleeping well is to be satisfied with what you have. It's to be content. And contentment at its very basic level is just the ability to say enough. What I have is enough. Sure, I can, uh, I really like the looks of that uh, brand new Toyota 4Runner, but the six-year-old Camry I have is enough. It really is. It's enough. And sure, I can see some benefits to living in a nice condo where someone else shovels the driveway and the sidewalks, but the house I live in is fine. It's enough. And contentment is just the ability to say it's enough. The pathway to enjoying what you have is just to look at it with joy. To look at it with joy and say, I'm satisfied with it. It's enough. The second pathway to uh, being able to find true riches is generosity. It's generosity. Now, this really isn't a giving sermon, but I have to mention it because I really believe one of the ways that you break out of the trap of chasing riches is to learn to hold everything loosely. It's to learn to be able to let it go. It's to learn to be able to give it away. And I wouldn't be true to what Solomon taught and what Jesus said without at least mentioning this. Look at what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 6. He said this, Honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of all your crops. Then you will have more grain and grapes than you will ever need. It's an interesting verse. Solomon says, generosity isn't just a way to become satisfied with what you have and to enjoy it more. He seems to say that when you give to God, God will give you more. That, that's one way to look at what he says. There is another way. Maybe he's saying that when you give to God, when you put everything in its proper priority and you hold it loosely, you'll notice what you already have. He says that when you give, you may see that you have more than you will ever need. You have more than what you will ever need. And God really does supply the needs of those who trust him and give to him. And he helps them to have enough and to be satisfied with what they have. 
But Jesus also talked about this. Look at the rest of what he said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't store treasures for yourself here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. He said, instead of renting storage units that you can store all your stuff in, we should store our treasures in heaven. How do you do that? How do you store your treasures in heaven? Well, the only way I know to do that is to invest in the people who are going there. To invest in the people that are going there. And that's what many of us did when we decided to give to Unstoppable. I mean, many of you caught the vision and you trusted God to stretch you. And he has. Many of you have shared that you had no idea how you were going to keep that financial commitment that you made. But God has blessed you with unexpected blessings or he's helped you stretch your dollars differently than what you were doing before, or he's just proven that you really can get by with less. But you know, the real blessings, the real blessings come in how God is using those dollars, how he's using those dollars. And literally hundreds of people have come into this building in the last few weeks, and many of them are asking questions. They're asking questions about our church. Some are asking questions about Jesus. Some are visiting our church services. You see, what God told us would happen is happening. It's happening. And when some of those people cross the line of faith and have the promise of heaven or they come back to Jesus after being away for a very long time or they begin to change their life and begin to live like Jesus, we are storing up treasures in heaven. Isn't that cool? So it really is your decision. If you want to wreck your life, stay on that never-ending race. Keep chasing riches Although I promise, like Solomon, in the end, you will find out it's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind, trying to catch some fog in your hand. But if you really want a satisfying life of meaning, enjoy true riches. Learn to be content, satisfied with what you already have, and learn to be generous. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, I suspect in this room there are some people who are struggling. There are some people, Father, who are so um, enthralled with things that are chasing after riches. And uh, Father, they think they're almost there and uh, they push back against some of what we've said. Father, I pray that you will help them to trust you more. I, help, I pray, Father, that you will help them to see the futility that comes from chasing after things that we're just going to leave here, that are just going to rust or rot or be stolen. 
Father, Jesus said that where our treasures are, that's where our heart is. And Father, we want our heart to belong to you. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us. Help us to find meaning and significance in our life by being content, by being generous with what we have. Father, we thank you so much for your wisdom in giving us this book of the Bible where we can see how Solomon wrecked his life and avoid wrecking our own. And now, Father, would you help us not just to hear your word, but to put it into practice in our life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.